You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites, and is brought to you by ZeroMo, a non-profit initiative helping transition to battery-powered lawn and gardening equipment and electric vehicles using 100% renewable energy. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of The Driven website and also Renew Economy. And this week we're talking about the latest addition to the electric vehicle fleet in Australia. Australia, it is right to say, has struggled behind most other countries in the uptake of electric vehicles. And one of the major issues, of course, has been the lack of choice on models. But in this past week we've had a new model arrive it's the second generation nissan leaf and um joining me to talk about this exciting development is the head of electrification and mobility at nissan australia ben warren ben thanks for joining the driven podcast absolutely uh, fantastic to be here thanks for having me well no, it's it, it's um it's a pleasure um look the nissan leaf i guess the um the headline number about nissan leaf is that it is a sub fifty thousand dollar electric vehicle now that's probably playing a little bit with arguments because the on-road costs will likely take it beyond fifty thousand dollars um and it's not yet really into the realms of the you know, the true mass market, which we probably understand to be around about $20,000. But nevertheless, it is a significant development because electric vehicles are coming down in price, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one of the things we've seen with the uh, the evolution from, from Series 1 to, to the second generation of LEAF has been um, the amount of interest in the market, but also just the um, as the technology is evolving and things are, are becoming more efficient and uh, you know, more accessible for all, Leafs are you know really valuable um, and important piece of that puzzle. Keep that journey going. So tell me, so so how else does the second generation Leaf differ from the first generation Leaf? And I'm guessing um, we're really looking at um, battery capacity and driving range, and and probably um, recharging um, charging facilities. Yeah, I think from a technical headline, I suppose that's the big piece, right? We're moving from a a, a, a twenty four kilowatt uh, battery pack that was the Series One uh, in Australia. And going to a forty kilowatt hour uh, kilowatt hour battery pack, so um, that advancement in uh, lithium ion battery technology, seeing uh, the ability to have a greater density battery package, more power into the same sort of footprint, means uh, we get more range, we get more response, um, and then uh, and then from there, it's um, uh, a whole host of uh, updated features, new new driving technologies, and of course, uh, updated styling. So, the new Leaf is a sleek, stylish um, uh, little uh, small hatch. Let's just go on to the, um, the the battery size. You said it's increased from twenty four kilowatts to forty kilowatt hours. Um, that I think, understand, gives a driving range of about two hundred and seventy kilometres. Um, overseas, there is a longer range Nissan Leaf available. I think with a sixty two kilowatt hour um, battery pack. Is there any plan to bring that version to Australia? Oh, it's something that obviously we uh, we continue to look at with great interest. Um, the really the focus for us is having um, having leaf being uh, being introduced into the market um, 
with a with a range of capacity that uh, that meets the driving needs of most Australians. So we know the average daily commute is under forty kilometres a day. Um, so uh, bringing in a vehicle, obviously, that meets those range requirements for most people's everyday driving at a at a you know a cost effective rate um, is certainly important for the first stake in the ground. Um, the the E plus uh, is has just gone on sale overseas, and we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll keep uh, continuing to watch that, and um, as that evolves, and if uh, availability presents itself for us, it's something we'll certainly look at. So tell us a little bit about the charging then of the Nissan Leaf, because this is this remains the big question for consumers, particularly those who are not very familiar with electric vehicles. And um, as you said, um, the average driving, um, daily driving commute, I guess for most people is 40 kilometres, whether they're going to and from work or to and from school or just doing the errands around the place. So how do you expect most people to be able to charge their vehicles? Um, is it going to be mostly home charging, do you think? And, and, yeah. and how will people do that? I think uh, I think one of the the interesting things for for electric vehicles overall is what we've seen is that uh, the majority of charging uh, happens uh, where the vehicle is parked for the for most of the time. So that's usually at home or in the at the workplace, um, and that's the most convenient thing. I guess when we think about uh, charging um, of an electric vehicle. It's, it is changing the paradigm of how we fuel our cars and that concept of the, that for years of it's the most convenient thing to drive out of your way to stand, uh, stand outside and put petrol in a car, um, that that's the most convenient uh, user-friendly way of fueling a vehicle. I think EVs are really going to turn that on their head because customers don't need to go out of the way. They plug it in when they get home. When they go to bed, uh, the vehicle charges overnight and they both wake up fully refreshed and, and recharged in the morning, which I think is um, uh, an interesting mindset uh, shift that EVs will bring on. And if you're only doing 40 kilometres a day, then presumably you're only going to be using, say, oh, look, um, would it be six kilowatt hours or seven kilowatt hours um, from battery? So really, even if you just plugged it into the wall socket at home when you got when, when you got home, it would probably only take a couple of hours to recharge, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, based on sort of rough, rough numbers, seven kilowatt hours would be... Uh, about 50 kilometres of driving um, based on sort of average driving habits. Um, so the reality is they would be charging, um, whether it be every day or every couple of days or once a week. I mean, it's the same uh, mentality as, you know, charging your phone. Um, plug it in at night and in the morning it's ready to go. Absolutely, yeah. I remember someone sort of telling me, saying, how long does it take me to charge my mobile phone? I have no idea. And um, was the response because it just, you just plug it in and you just sort of pick it up later. And I guess the same would be with the, uh, with the electric vehicle. Is there a recommendation from Nissan about whether you should charge your battery up to 100% each time you use it? Or is there, a, is there a view that maybe the batteries are better or last longer if they're held between, say, 20% and 80% range? Oh, look, there's no. Um, you shouldn't see any uh, detrimental impact of charging up to a hundred. I mean, with with all batteries, um, you know, getting um, getting that range of charge and discharge into it over time is is a good thing, uh, and and the battery's quite comfortable. Um, you know, sitting at a hundred, sitting at eighty. Um, 
if you're only doing very short journeys and only using a couple of percent of the capacity of the battery, then you know, I, I wouldn't suggest charging it every day. I'd say uh, you know, do a few days of driving and, and um, at least uh, rather than just topping up one or two percent each time. So I think you, uh, you'll get um, a bit more of a convenient, uh, convenient uh, experience as a customer if you can go those extra, extra couple of days of driving, at least that way. Um, you're not uh, you're not you know plugging and unplugging uh, every day. I mean, it only takes ten seconds, but uh, you know, what what else can we do with that ten seconds? <laughs> Just a bit sad when we're sort of trying to sort of break down our life and and plan for it in ten second intervals. But um, but I see what you mean. Look, I think it will actually come down to personal choice in the end. Um, what about for longer distance driving? Because uh, you know, I just sort of talk to people in the in the pub or at dinner parties, and that seems to be the big question. So if you've got a Nissan Leaf, um, maybe it's not going to be the primary car you take away for your sort of three week camping holiday. But if you do want to go intercity, um, what are your options now in Australia? Well, it's one of the things that uh, we're seeing with um, with the evolution of the market is public charging infrastructure is expanding um, more and more, uh, you know, every week. Um, so, uh, with Nissan, we've uh, we've partnered with uh, ChargeFox, who are building the uh, superhighway of fast chargers, um, eventually being able to drive from Adelaide to to Brisbane. Um, which I think is an important step in the uptake of uh, EVs in general, um, building out building out that infrastructure to give people the options. Um, I guess the, the the real the real test will be over time is to see what the utilisation rates of those will be, um, because I can't remember the last time I drove from Melbourne to Sydney. Um, typically, I do that on an aeroplane, but um, but uh, the idea there is that it provides the options and the facilities for people to uh, to make those journeys and continue to kind of live a normal motoring life with an EV. Mm. And if they are using those supercharging stations, how quickly will they be able to recharge their battery? Um, so typically you'd, you'd go from the, the, the warning light to full, uh, to 80% in, in about an hour, um, but... Like with any any form of charging, that's that's dependent on uh, the charger and the and the conditions at the time. But yeah, typically, it would be within an hour. Okay. The one new thing from this new Nissan Leaf and um, something we haven't seen from any other electric vehicles so far in Australia is the ability to use the battery. Uh, in what's called vehicle-to-home and vehicle-to-grid technology. Now, this is about using the battery maybe to power your house, using a battery potentially to put um, power back into the grid. Um, this is, and um, I, I, I think um, one of your overseas executives was talking about it last week and just was thinking, you know, we're looking at the new Nissan Leaf not just as a form of transport and a piece of mobility, but actually as a, you know, as a major form of energy storage. T tell us about what you're thinking here. So I guess um, where that comes from is uh, within the Nissan business, we have the philosophy of Nissan Intelligent Mobility. Um, and in that, within that philosophy, there's three, three key um, pillars. Um, you've got uh, intelligent, uh, intelligent drive um, in about developing intelligent, exciting powertrains that are, um, are uh, exciting um, uh, features in the vehicle, maximum safety, maximum control and comfort for everyone on board, 
intelligent power to have a more exciting drive uh, that's clean and efficient, but then intelligent integration. And that concept is around how we connect our vehicles into the wider society. And that's where LEAF plays a really important role. Um, because when we talk about EVs, a couple of questions that come up quite a lot is from a customer perspective, how far can I drive, how do I charge it, etc. And then the wider piece of with that charging point, how um, is the infrastructure geared up to handle it? Um, and I guess the view for us on, on EVs is um, when we look at the way the energy market is going, um, renewables are becoming a big thing. And the, the key point here is you know, the sun shines when the sun shines and the wind blows when the wind blows. So we can capture the energy at that point in time. But what we really need... Um, to, to foster and recognise that benefit of renewable energy is storage. And if we've got EVs running around with 40 kilowatt hour battery packs in them, they're pretty sizable battery packs that, um, that should be able to be utilised for the wider benefit, right? And when a vehicle spends a lot of its time parked, um, which is one of the... Uh, you know, one of the, 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 the big, I guess, criticisms of cars is um, how do we maximise the utilisation of them? Um, and that's where vehicle-to-grid or, or vehicle-to-home technology allows the vehicle to effectively become an energy asset, to power the home, to power the building, to help shave, you know, some of those peak demands uh, off or, or draws off the grid and uh, you know, reuse that renewable energy that's captured during times where, uh, where maybe that excess power isn't necessarily needed. Oh, it was fascinating to read. It was fascinating to read a report by National Grid in the UK, which is the market operator there, and they've just released five future energy scenarios talking about sort of the, the path to decarbonisation by 2050. And what was really fascinating was this section that they had on electric vehicles, and their prognosis is that by 2050 and most likely before, virtually every vehicle in the UK will be electric. So they're talking about 36 million um, vehicles, both cars and sort of you know small sort of cargo. Um, small trucks and things like that. And they were talking about the ability to use the combined storage of all these vehicles as a key asset in the future of the management of the grid, particularly storing excess solar power, as you mentioned, happening during the day, but also just as a demand response and demand management tool. So if you were thinking about all those different vehicles all charging together, that was a potential load of 24 gigawatts, which is humongous and it's probably about the average load that you see in the whole of Australia but with careful management you can actually reduce that demand level to around four gigawatts because you know as, as some cars might be charging other cars may be charged and feeding back into the grid so it's a um, it's a fascinating prospect um, for for the future energy of the, for the future of the grid what needs to happen for that to become widespread in Australia do you think Okay, I mean, step one, uh, having having a, a host of uh, beautiful Nissan Leafs out there driving around on the roads. Um, but, uh, you know, of course, of course, we're a car company, I have to say that. Um, the, the, the second piece is, is just in the infrastructure development. So when you look at charging of an EV, um, a, a conventional EV charger is a, is a unidirectional charger. It's effectively power into the vehicle and that's it. Um, 
from a vehicle uh, to, to grid or vehicle to home perspective, you have a, a bi-directional charger. So a charger that can uh, put energy into the car, but also export it back out. And that piece of hardware um, included with some software logic to help manage the process is the piece that um, effectively is required to realize the, realize the benefit, um, it, whether it be a home application, a building application, or the grid. So when you package that all together, the car's connected to this, uh, to this piece of hardware, it then manages the energy flow and the state of, ha- uh, state of charge of the battery and all of those types of things. Um, to allow the user to set some preferences, um, to say, you know, don't deplete my battery in my vehicle beyond, you know, below 30% or something like that. So you can still jump in the car and go down the shops if you need to. Um, and then, uh, and then the rest of it is kind of managed intuitively by the energy management system um, that you, know, you have in place. So. They're the pieces that I guess um, that are that are rolling out globally. Um, there's seven thousand homes in Japan um, running this system now. Uh, they're starting to roll out uh, roll out programs into Europe, and so for us, it's about going through that process of testing, validating, um, ensuring that uh, everybody in the energy ecosystem is is happy and comfortable with the the mechanism and the way it works and then we can start to see that realised for, for Australian customers. And when do you expect that to actually become available for, 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 for the owners of your Nissan Leaves? I understand there's a bit more testing to be done. Um, is it a six-month period or something like that, maybe early next year? Yeah, our, our thinking is, um, is you know, within, within 12 months, we hope for it to be, to be in market and available for customers. Okay. And what's the difference then between vehicle to home and vehicle to grid? Is vehicle to home then just limited to using the battery to maybe support your domestic power needs, you know, sort of air conditioning or what have you, Um, but vehicle to grid is actually sort of feeding it back out in that line, back into the main network? Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, vehicle to home or vehicle to building is really the car just powering that 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 building or that home, um, managing the uh, or, or, or catering for the usage of that individual building. And then from a vehicle to grid, it's uh, exporting power back, you know, beyond the meter out, out, out onto the street. And, um, you know, that's in various different capacities. So, you know, frequency management, FCAS, these types of things, um, you know, uh, whereas vehicle to home and, and vehicle to building is more just managing the uh, hmm. the individual consumption of that one one building. And are you finding the networks and the energy retailers and the market operator open to this sort of these sort of ideas? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, there's a lot of interest out there, a lot of questions, um, a lot of people wanting to get their hands on 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 this this technology to. To trial and test it, because um, you know we need to understand as a as a wider uh, as a wider market, you know how it integrates and works with our existing infrastructure, um, what the um, you know what the opportunities that can be leveraged are, and, and what the benefits are for customers, for uh, retailers, network operators, all of these types of entities, um, because there is a wider impact or a wider ripple of this type of technology. Mm. 
What else is planned then by Nissan? You've got your new generation Leaf out here. I think sort of the broader global plans are for more models to become electric. Um, when can we see the next different Nissan electric vehicle in Australia? I was reading overnight that um, Nissan has been involved with um, a Chinese manufacturer to deliver an electric Ute, which um, I'm no expert on Utes, but it kind of looked vaguely similar to the sort of the Utes you might see around Australia. But um, that was in the Chinese market. Um, when can we see other sort of models? Um, in Australia, do you think? Well, I think um, you know it's a fairly um, it's a fairly as an industry. There's a fairly busy uh, busy plan over the next few years of of EVs rolling out into the market. Um, when we first initially uh, announced uh, Leaf uh, or Leaf's re-entry back into market uh, late last year, um, we mentioned that uh, our our uh, midterm goals was to electrify one-third of our sales um, within our midterm plan of, of 2022. So um, when we talk about electrifying our range, it's obviously EVs, um, but also uh, other, other electrified power systems like the e-power concept we're seeing, um, uh, seeing generate great returns in the Japanese market. So there's, there's um, yeah, a bright yeah. future ahead, I think. What do you think the next model might be? Are you able to say? Oh, look, um, if, if I had a dollar for every time I was, I was asked that question, I'd, um, I'd have a pretty full <laughs> piggy bank. Um, that's, <laughs> that's, that, that, that's a secret to be retained that, by Nissan management, it sounds like. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. So what sort of sales are you expecting for the new generation Leaf? Um, in fact, while you're here, I mean, I, I, I suppose I need to ask you, how many of the original Leafs have been sold in Australia? Do you have a number for that? Uh, that's, a, that's a very good question. The, um, the first generation Leaf sold 635 uh, five units, uh, over its uh, over its time here, mm -hmm. um, for the for the second um, second generation, it's not something that we're we're not really focusing on uh, on the sales numbers themselves. Um, it'll certainly be more than the first generation that I can tell you, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and I think looking at the um, looking at the levels of interest, uh, we're pretty confident uh, in what uh, what's about to roll out. And our priority here is about uh, looking after looking after customers going through this this journey of electrification because it is going to be new to a lot of people, but also delivering good product to the market. And uh, what sort of response have you gotten so far to the new um, to the new model? Um, so we've had uh, we've had a strong uh, level of uh, registration of interest. Um, we've had. Uh, Twelve and a half thousand people um, registered their interest to learn more, um, and so that's that's been uh, you know an, an exciting um, exciting uptake for us. Um, and we've also got uh, got uh, a lot of uh, uh, pre-sales across uh, both private and fleet customers. So um, I think uh, it it'll be a, a good. Uh, exciting rollout for us next month. That's an interesting one that you just said about the fleet customers because the fleet market's been hard to crack. It's sort of kind of been seen as the obvious market for electric vehicles, at least initially, but it's been hard to crack because I guess fleet managers are conservatives. They want to know about the technology. They want to understand how it works. So are you seeing signs now that uh, they're starting to embrace this? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think when we, um, even when we go back to the Generation 1 sales, about 35% of our sales were, were fleet. Um, and um, when we've been doing some of the uh, showcase of the early examples, um, so far we've had a really strong response from, from fleet companies um, uh, or, or fleets themselves, fleet operators. So I think there's, there's definitely an appetite out there. Businesses are, are looking at sustainable practices. We've seen... Um, uh, we've seen uh, survey results. We, we did some early surveying with Kantar TNS uh, in the lead up to the launch, and we found that um, you know that survey generated or, or showed that people were interested in highly interested in sustainable products, highly interested in working for companies that um, that uh, had sustainable practices. So two thirds of two thirds of um, New car intenders uh, or customers said, uh, you know that that sustainability was important to them. Mm. Um, so it's 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 a, it's a big push. Um, and then when you start to package in the opportunities of a vehicle fleet with things like the the bidirectional charging that we just mentioned, it means that uh, as a fleet manager, um, all of a sudden there's a you're, you're all of a sudden becoming a potentially a, a source of revenue or a source of saving within the business if you look at what the power consumption and, and what the power opportunities are as well. What point? At what point do you think that electric vehicles become a bit of a no-brainer for consumers? I mean, you talked about the sort of aspirations for sustainability and to drive a clean vehicle. And look, obviously, there's an excitement about electric vehicles themselves because you know they've got instant torque, they're fun to drive, they've got a low centre of gravity, they're, they're considered reasonably safe. Where do? Where, what point do we get to where it becomes like almost like an automatic sale? And how far is that away? Well, I think one of the interesting things when we look at the evolution of EVs is we do forecast and and, and so there was some um, some numbers uh, recently that was a study um, produced by Morgan Stanley uh, which showed a uh, forecasted, uh, forecasted decrease of cost of lithium-ion batteries uh, over time. And then when you couple that with the increasing costs of traditional powertrains due to uh, you know, increasing emission regulations and these types of things, we see battery prices coming down. We see the, the price of a petrol engine or a diesel engine coming up. Uh, I expect you know, we're going to see that, um, that, that price parity shift um, start to happen uh, you know, 2025 um, or, or there or thereabouts. Um, so certainly I think over the next, you know, five to ten years, we're going to start to see that crossover between the, 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 the uh, costs in technology. And at that point in time, I mean, you've driven EVs, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, they are super fun to drive. They are exciting. Um, they are quiet, uh, you know, at, that, that's an absolute no-brainer at that point in time. And it's likely that by the end of the, the 2020s, an electric car may even be cheaper than a conventional-powered uh, internal combustion engine. 
Well, to me, that would be a no-brainer considering the lower running cost and the extra value proposition you get from, you know, as you say, your vehicle to home and vehicle to grid charging. Um, what do you need governments, the final question before we, um, before we go, what do we need governments to do, if anything, um, to help that along? Well, I think there's a couple of a couple of different ways that you can look at it. Um, the the electric vehicle revolution, in, in one way or the other, is 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 coming. Um, you know, plenty of manufacturers um, are out there releasing new products and new innovations every day. We're going to see that price parity movement um, that I spoke about um, just then. Um, so that's really going to drive. Um, uh, drive the evolution. We've seen overseas uh, markets uh, jumping on, jumping on, um, you know, very hard as well. So, look, the, the overall industry, um, including us, we're 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 lobbying, you know, the government all the time to talk about what opportunities exist um, for electric vehicles, whether that's um, through, uh, you know, direct. Um, direct uh, support of the vehicles themselves, whether that's through infrastructure, anything um, that industry, government, anyone can do to further the growth of EVs is, uh, is, a, good, uh, is a good move, ultimately. Well, there you go. Well, look, Ben, um, thank you very much for um, joining us. Ben Warren, um, Head of Electrification and Mobility at Nissan Australia. Um, I do look forward to hearing you, hopefully, at our uh, EV conference, which we'll be holding in Sydney at the end of August. Um, I hope to hear your confirmation from there. And I also look forward to um, getting my own test drive sometime of the second generation Nissan Leaf and uh, be able to um, share with our listeners and the readers um, our views of the car. It sounds very exciting, and particularly this idea of... Um, you know, the role it might uh, play in a renewables-dominated grid. Um, ben, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. And that's all for now. We'll be back again in, uh, in a week's time. Bye for now. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by Zero Mo, the non-profit initiative that supports battery electric alternatives for lawn and gardening maintenance. Zero Mo helps transition to cleaner and quieter garden power tools and electric vehicles powered by 100% renewable energy. Visit zeromo.com.au and find out how you can make the switch to zero emission, petrol-free lawn and garden maintenance.